0: The idea that organizations should address interests beyond shareholders goes back at least to the early 1970s. But after a year in which health, racial, social justice, and environmental concerns became too pressing to ignore, there's a new focus on stakeholder capitalism. Alongside it comes a new focus on ESG – Environmental, Social, and Governance Considerations. And it's not just being driven by activists. Just in the first quarter of 2021, investors poured a record $21.5 billion into mutual funds with an ESG focus, more than double that of 2020. I'm Greg Thomas, and today on the Workday Podcast, we're going to discuss trends in ESG, what the evolving need to report on ESG means, and what leaders, especially finance leaders, should be doing about these issues. I'm pleased today to be joined by Julia Sicardo, associate partner at McKinsey & Company, who focuses on sustainability issues. Julia, welcome to the Workday podcast.
1: Really good to be here, Greg.
0: Thank you for being here. So can you share a bit about your area of focus at McKinsey and the types of projects that you help your clients with?
1: Sure, Greg. So I've been uh, driving sustainability at McKinsey for the past decade. I actually uh, founded our diversity and inclusion initiative for one of McKinsey's largest practices in North America, our energy and materials practice four years ago. And I hold a leadership role in our purpose tribe where I get to help clients focus on pursuing sustainable and inclusive growth. Uh, And in my role, I get to lead research efforts, build technology solutions, and uh, most importantly, spend time cracking really tough problems with my clients, all in this broader ESG space.
0: You've clearly got a level of of passion around this, as evidenced by just the number of things you, you rattled off there, Julia. How did you come to do this kind of work?
1: Well, I am an economist by training, and economists study optimums. If we look at many of society's practices, they're actually suboptimal. So if we take energy generation, for example, every ton of coal or barrel of oil that we burn creates electricity, but that also has cost, not just immediate costs to our pocketbooks, but also long-term costs to our health and to our planet. We focus narrowly on the short-term gain at the expense of our livelihoods in the long run. Solar and wind energy, on the other hand, require some capital to stand up, but every marginal electron that they create is completely free. And just think about the, the implications that that model has for economic growth, for for social advancement. It's it's really massive. Um, and the unlock is that it, it just takes investment to achieve sustainable growth. And I think that's what I'm really passionate about, finding opportunities to invest in the technology in the people and the processes that yields a greater return over the long run. Yeah,
0: that's that's fantastic, and and I, I I think that focus on the long term is something that society would be well served to 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 adjust. So as I mentioned in the setup, the the idea of stakeholder capitalism, or or at least that the shareholders shouldn't be the primary or sole interest that that organizations are managed for, goes back fifty years to the beginning of the World Economic Forum and. And other things. Um, And of course, it should be said that there are many organizations who have been quite vocal and quite active about stakeholder capitalism for for some time. Broadly, though, it, it does seem like environmental, social, and governance considerations. Have, have really taken on new urgency recently. So two-part question for you. Are, are stakeholder capitalism and ESG the same thing? What, how are they related? What's different? And what do our listeners really need to know about how these two ideas interplay?
1: Yeah, a great question. Stakeholder capitalism and ESG are, are really closely related concepts, but but not exactly the same. Stakeholder capitalism is, you know, as you mentioned, a management philosophy that has been around for, for you know, quite some time and even many would say predates uh, shareholder capitalism. And it's really founded on the premise that a company's purpose is to create long-term value for all the stakeholder groups in society, not just the shareholders. So that includes employees, customers, any other groups uh, that the company may directly or indirectly influence. Uh, The idea here is that the company and its management have a much broader responsibility than to just turn a profit for the shareholders alone. Now, ESG on the other hand is is not a philosophy, but rather a a set of metrics that can be used to evaluate enterprise risk and opportunity that have material impact on the business. And I think the the rise of ESG has really come about as investors and the financial community note that uh, some of the the concepts and implications of of a business's operations outside of its financial activities end up in turn having, having an impact on the value of that business. ESG stands for environment, social, and governance practices. And these are all practices that um, can be measured with, with detailed metrics, which you know, companies these days are under increasing pressure from their investors, customers, regulators to disclose. These metrics are you know, a bit of a, a litmus test of whether a company is establishing long-term value. So I think that to your second question of how do ESG and, and uh, stakeholder capitalism interact, uh, performing well in ESG likely indicates an affinity for that stakeholder capitalism philosophy of management. Uh, but I think you know regardless of the philosophy of management that, that you subscribe to, ESG performance really reveals how much risk is tied up in your corporate operations, whether you are talking about climate risk, transition risk, reputational risk and also how much opportunity a company might have to to enjoy you know long run growth and this is all truly material information for investors
0: yeah i mean couching it in terms of risk really reframes it from Something that's very important, but also maybe has a little bit of a feel-good uh, sort of aspect to it. To something that any organization really needs to be needs to be deeply concerned with. Again, this is this, these ideas have been around for a long time, but you know, just that figure from the top twenty plus billion dollars invested in ESG-focused funds. That's a lot of money. What's driving What's driving the urgency today? Do you think?
1: You're spot on that ESG is really at an inflection point. 2020 was, you know, a crazy and, and chaotic year. And yet, you know, fund flows into ESG throughout 2020 grew exponentially. And, and that growth has been, you know, continuing steadily into 2021. You know, I think if we look at what's driving it, it's an increased uh level of stakeholder activism. Even the events of COVID-19, you know, really pushing companies to reflect on their their role in society more broadly, how to react to unexpected shocks. I think particularly in in the U.S., the increased focus that we've had around the movement for racial equity, all of these factors together have really contributed to companies beginning to explore what their role really should be and how they want to participate in society beyond just driving that, that bottom line.
0: So when you talk to clients about ESG, what kind of questions are people asking and and does that urgency behind all of those issues that you were you were sharing, you know, climate and social justice, mm-hmm. does that come through when you talk with with business leaders?
1: ESG is something that is is really top of mind for our clients and it is a topic that has the CEOs attention. Whether companies are further along in their ambitions and looking for support in shaping ESG initiatives or establishing the governance practices to underpin them or um, simply just starting out and setting a target, our, our clients are taking ESG very seriously. And increasingly, we're getting more and more client interest in embedding ESG across corporate operations rather than just keeping the responsibility siloed in one function. And I, I think that speaks to, to how uh, this area is really maturing in corporate practice. Well,
0: McKinsey's done a number of, of research studies that connects ESG rankings to corporate outperformance. Can, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know as we get into the research and we've done quite a lot of analysis in this space, and we find that when done well, ESG practices can drive significant value. It is important to look at, uh, not just at the rankings, but also at the underlying metrics as the, the weightings that are embedded in those rankings can sometimes you know, obfuscate what the, the true performance of the company really is. But that said, you know there are multiple sources of value that can be uncovered by you know close management of ESG practices and metrics. First is top line growth. For example, here we find that 70% of Gen Z consumers would pay upward of a 5% premium for values aligned products and services. Quite significant and this is these are the customers of today that will you know, continue to be the customers of tomorrow. If we look outside of top line growth from a risk perspective at you know policy, regulatory, transition risk. We find that about thirty to fifty percent of EBITDA is at stake. So very important to, to keep ESG top of mind, and companies that do so are you know shielding themselves from from these liabilities. That's um,
0: greater than many industries' profit margin, right? Indeed. By by, by multiples. So Julia, we've been talking a lot about. You've mentioned that. The DSG is, is a risk mitigation strategy, but you know risks and opportunities tend to be two sides of the same coin. So for finance leaders who, who are thinking about ESG, like, what about that other side of the coin? What are the opportunities for value creation that come from thinking about ESG uh, in, in different ways?
1: Two core areas that come to mind on the value creation side, one is bringing to market products and, and services that have an ESG focus in our current environment with Gen Z uh, rising and purchasing power tend to be pretty successful. If we, we look at businesses that are really hitting a growth trajectory, many of these are actually doing so with a new product or service that has an, an environmental or values aligned component to it. I think we actually see that consumers are, you know, willing to spend in many cases significantly more to, you know, either offset their experience or acquire values-related products. There are quite a few uh, examples that, you know, I can think about. You know, conversations that I've been having with with my clients as they explore this space.
0: Can you think of some examples of, of companies where? They've, they've adopted that ethos and found a way to create additional value by by embracing whether it's environmental or, or societal types of considerations.
1: Quite a few examples come to mind, but there increasingly have been many new launches in the, the retail space in fashion of new product lines that have an eco or ethically made brand association with, with that particular model. Adidas Longchamp, H and M, you know all sorts of companies marketing their their socially conscious attributes, and these lines are having significant growth, becoming major parts of their new product revenue. And so I, I think you know really exciting to see companies really embrace ESG as not just a driver of you know burden of regulation, but actually as you know a wave that they can ride to deliver products to their customers that really resonate with them.
0: Tying a few of those threads together, if Thinking about these issues in, in a different way gives me cheaper access to capital, helps me attract better talent. You know, my cost of business may ultimately be reduced as a result of those things. And then you couple that with being able to charge potentially a price premium on the top line side. That's a pretty compelling value proposition for an organization. Why wouldn't you think about these things? It just makes economic Absolutely.
1: sense. This is really making that that concrete Going beyond, you can look at cost reduction from sustainable practices. An example is if we look at companies that are able to adopt uh, circular practices, effectively you know, engaging in, in recycling and uh, reuse across their value chain. We find that on average, those companies can reduce their input costs by 20 um, you percent, know, really significant in, in the manufacturing sector. Then, you know if we look at employees that are you know feeling that they are well aligned with uh, with their corporation that you know feel the workplace reflects their values they report up to four times the more engagement and uh, that directly correlates to productivity so you know happier employees more engaged employees um, much more you know productive um, in driving company activities and and all of those those factors, really bubble up to what we see when we look at top line performance in terms of, of uh, shareholder value. Companies that are actually able to improve their, their ESG performance end up delivering greater returns to, to their shareholders. So you know we talked about this difference in philosophy between stakeholder and shareholder. Uh, you know some of our research actually indicates that, that that may begin to blur as companies actually focus on improving their their ESG practices.
0: That last point around employee engagement, we're facing a very tight talent market. I mean, just all these little levers that help an organization attract, retain uh,
1: the
0: the best talent. Why wouldn't you take advantage of those as as a management team?
1: Absolutely. I can share an example. I was having a, a recent conversation with one of my clients and they've been trying to fill an operational role and are now posting a more ESG focused role. And uh, they have really struggled to get applications for the original role, but for the ESG-focused role, within a week of posting it, they had hundreds of applications. Wow! Same location as the other role, you know, same same industry. It really speaks volumes to you know, even in a tight labor market, focusing on these practices can make a huge difference.
0: So, so Julia, today, companies report on their financials, and a lot of companies create corporate social responsibility or equivalent types of reports. Do you see those worlds combining at some point? And if so, what do you think that will look like?
1: they They absolutely yeah. must. Under this kind of hybrid metric bucket, there are, you know, a whole host of different ways that, With a sector-specific approach, you can actually think about, you know, which hybrid metrics you want to use. And this is a bit of a creative uh, activity for the CFO as well to, you know, think about which ones we want to hold ourselves accountable to. Because as we spoke about, ESG represents a material opportunity for value creation or risk mitigation. It, It truly does come back to financial impact. So these ESG metrics need to be integrated into financial reporting. And this can sound daunting because That ESG data lives all over the place. It's not in the the current flow of reporting processes, but, you know, I think there there is precedent for it. Actually, the push that Bob Eccles and other thought leaders have led around integrated reporting going back a decade ago has brought us to a point where, I want to say about eighty percent of, of our, the largest corporations actually do have at least one metric that is not a financial metric in their financial reporting. So we need to really take that and uh, expand on it, and be thoughtful about what metrics we we pull in.
0: So let's bring it back to what you touched upon a few minutes ago, Julia. Around this is this is a, a CEO level consideration. Where does ESG? live in an organization
1: most companies that are mature in their ESG practices they actually don't manage ESG from one single function but rather embed ESG into the financial and operational KPIs you know of that business and you know focus on endowing each leader across the enterprise with ESG commitments and targets of their own this is the mark of a, a company that is you know really focusing on ESG maturely That said, I think if I have to call out a particular role, I think that the CFO has a very special role to play, particularly in the near term, because the CFO is the one that really is going to have to educate their investors on the relevant ESG risks and opportunities for the business and then manage operations accordingly. Really, while all of the corporate functions have their role to play in executing on ESG, the finance organization is critical because it it's the one that quantifies the value associated with ESG and really enables capital allocation to, to maximize that value.
0: You talked about fundamentally there's there's a risk component to this and that's, that's a lot of what the finance organization is responsible for is thinking about managing risk and and making sure that the the company is best positioned with with all the the myriad choices they have to chart a course uh, that maximizes return while minimizing risk talk a bit about how those finance leaders need to to do the kind of education that you were talking about. Where are the challenges in in bringing either that investor community or even the rest of the management team along?
1: Yeah, it's a multi part challenge. I, at the first level, there is educating on, on ESG and you know level setting on ESG. Um, you know, here we are having you know this conversation about it, and it's becoming more and more of a household. Term, but it's it's not widely understood. You know exactly what the practices are, what the metrics are, why they're important, why they relate to the business. So as the the CFO expands their role to take into account these material metrics, non financial but material metrics, uh, there is going to be a degree of education that you know needs to be done. You know with any investors that that are associated with the business. Beyond that, digging in one level deeper it's not the case that all esg metrics are relevant to the same degree for every business and so the cfo is going to have to get pretty sophisticated on understanding you know exactly what metrics it's important for their enterprise to be tracking and then tie those back to you know what the overall mission of the company is and why we are selecting and prioritizing and managing to those metrics And so there's this second level of education that needs to be done, which is quite personal to to that company.
0: What does ESG reporting look like today and, and how is it evolving? Are there standardized metrics? Are there regulatory regimes that are coming into force that people need to be managing towards?
1: Yeah, this is the the million dollar question or million dollar set of questions because it's it's very murky at the moment. There's still a lot of variability in how companies are going about reporting. There is not one standard set of metrics to use. There's not one big official deadline to meet. Uh, And while there are notable frameworks and standards that do exist, it's absolutely up to each company to determine exactly how to navigate them. So it's challenging context to to operate in. That said, what is increasingly clear is that it is in companies' uh, interest to to own their ESG narrative and engage in in some sort of reporting. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. First is that investors actually do end up relying on uh, data rating scores that may actually misinterpret a company's ESG performance. And so you want to correct any misinformation that may be out there about your company. Second, if you you don't engage in reporting, you really lose an opportunity to to engage stakeholders directly, to showcase your risk mitigation strategy, your long-term growth strategy. Companies are increasingly using this ESG reporting lens as as a way to better engage with the external community. And then finally, perhaps most compelling is that we've done some analysis in in the European market it actually shows that your cost of capital can increase by more than a full percentage point for companies that have an insufficient approach to ESG disclosure.
0: There might be some grace on the part of uh, the broad stakeholder set to just tell us you know, where you are and what you're doing and what your plans are. But without that set of information being shared, people may assume the worst.
1: Right. And I think you you bring up an interesting point, particularly in light of the the posture that the SEC has taken around, um, you know, certainly indicating that there will be requirements for disclosures, corporate disclosures on ESG imminently, and what will be a sufficient explanation. I, I'm certain that, you know, there are companies that may be nervous about that. You know, how how are we going to comply with these requirements when when they come down down the pipe? But I think making a good faith effort, you know, engaging uh, either in that disclosure or explanation as, as it that suits the, the company's context is certainly better than, than providing less information because one may assume that, uh, that there's a bad reason for-, for Something to innovation. hide, yeah. Exactly. Do you
0: anticipate global harmonization of reporting requirements as, as this evolves?
1: yeah i think that it's certainly the direction in in which we are headed how quickly we will move is you know an, another question but certainly the the merger of the integrated reporting coalition and sasby uh, is an indicator of you know more of these bodies that have been really pounding the table for you know companies to think about disclosing in a single report more than just their, their financial performance and mm-hmm. introduce ESG metrics in a more standardized way. I think, you know, if we look at the European Union, you know, we're seeing more guidance around standards to help encourage companies It's you know, not required, but it exists uh, to to help standardize. And as companies are exploring also how they think about their their scopes of, of impact, and this is more a point on the environmental side, it's quite challenging to you know think about your scope three emissions if you're reporting your scope one and two emissions in, in a different and you know non-standard way. What I I hear from the conversations that I'm having is that um, companies are you know welcoming more standards. Um, welcoming more guidance uh, that it's it's actually an enabler to to you know achieve their their stated objectives on ESG. I
0: want to take us back a little bit to the employee side of of this. We talked about everything that ESG represents, maybe reasons for people to to both choose to be a customer of a of a given organization, but choose to work for that organization as well. How top of mind is that? Do you think for business leaders that that this is Something that we also need to be thinking about to make sure we've got the the right talent wanting to work at our organization, and then once on board, help us further these efforts.
1: I think it's absolutely critical for you know companies to keep in mind you're trying to hire talent in a, in a market of young new employees that want to work at a company that aligns with their values and they expect more from a company than just, you know, providing them a a paycheck and some benefits. They want to be proud to to work there. And, you know, I think we certainly experience that in in our organization. We see our, our clients facing the same context. It's pretty incredible. You know, even individuals who are potentially joining a role that has nothing to do with ESG totally elsewhere in the organization. That is a core question that they have, you know, before joining the company. And so I think Particularly now, as we were mentioning, where there is a fight to retain talent, and coming out of it, a challenging period, more and more individuals are you know, taking a time off or you know, working part time in their careers. Uh, being able to to offer a workplace that really resonates with with one's values gives the you know, a bit of an edge um, in in that recruiting. And this is a time when when most companies find that they need it.
0: So, what do companies need to do to make sure that they're they're not being seen as just giving lip service to these notions.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's one thing to talk about ESG and talk about stakeholder capitalism, but it's it's uh, quite something else to you know implement ESG practices in your organization. And really the first step is by um, building a a fact base. And that's just, you know, not just of your internal operations, which can sometimes be easier said than done, given all of this data lives in different corners of the the business. So not just collecting that, but also understanding what do your customers really care about? What do your employees really care about? What do your, your investors really care about? Um, and I think once you have that understanding, then you can begin to formulate your ESG strategy and you know figure out where you're going to double down and lead, where you might need to do a bit more work to get up to par. But I think once once that is defined, it's really about building the initiatives and investing in, in the plan that is required to implement those. You need to define KPIs, you need to set in incentives in the right place to ensure that Implementation actually happens. Put the right talent with the right skills and experience in place to to drive it. And also think about what metrics you're going to report on externally to make sure that the impact of everything that you're doing is well understood. So you know, I characterize it as a journey with with a lot of milestones. Really, you know, not a not a check the box exercise. And I, I think. Investors and regulators are discerning enough to know, you know when, is, when a company is actually taking this seriously and, and taking these actions and when not.
0: If we took your answer out of context, you're, you're describing, a, you know, a, setting a strategy and executing on a business initiative, right? It's it's in yeah. some ways, no different than, than is, anything else that an organization might realize that it needs to do because it's good for business.
1: You're spot on. Um, this is kind of the the new wave of, of strategy transformation, but, you know, I think it, it's really important to not just think about this as a, an aspiration uh, setting or you know vision setting exercise. Set a few targets, uh, create a glossy report. There, there has to be all of that follow through, just as you would with an operational transformation. If the goal was improve EBITDA, this has to be treated with the same rigor.
0: As you described it, it's 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 not something that gets completed. It's it's a journey. You're always going to be finding new milestones to set the the goal towards and achieve. So as we wrap up, for listeners who, who are on their own journey around ESG, what advice do you have for them to, to further their own efforts?
1: I have three pieces of advice for companies that are embarking on ESG reporting. The first is just be direct. Use that report as a chance to reiterate your company's specific purpose statement and explain how it really drives your your corporate strategy. The second is think about educating your audience. So rather than just reporting out um, reams and and reams of data, explain which specific metrics are critical to supporting your purpose statement and strategy and provide the context that your investors and uh, customers need to understand them. And then finally, I I think it's it's really important to to think about where you do this reporting. So putting that ESG information into your financial report, not just uh, the CSR report, and thinking about uh, not just introducing standalone ESG metrics, but even hybrid metrics, which integrate ESG and financial performance into a a given metric, such as carbon-adjusted EBITDA, bringing those types of metrics in to really demonstrate that you're serious about ESG and that there's a clear link between your ESG practices and how you're creating value.
0: That's wonderful advice. Thank you so much to (laughs) Julia Sicarda from McKinsey & Company for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, Greg.
0: We've been talking about environmental, social, and governance initiatives, stakeholder capitalism, and how companies should report on their efforts. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to the Workday Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Greg Thomas, thank you for listening.